Good morning, Mill City. Hey, good to see you, and welcome to everybody online. We're so glad that you're joining us from wherever you are. And my name is Aaron Stern, the lead pastor here for anybody who's maybe brand new. Uh, Today is the beginning of Advent. If you're unfamiliar with Advent, it is the beginning of the church calendar. Uh, that is a season uh, of ultimately reminding us of the waiting of the people of God for the Messiah, which Jesus came. And then we also find ourselves in a place of waiting, waiting for His return. It is the season that leads up to the Christmas season. And so uh, in this, because uh, we find ourselves between two arrivals, Advent means arrival, Uh, We find ourselves between Jesus' first arrival and His second. Uh, It gives us space for and language for our longings. And uh, and so uh, it is a journey to Christmas. Uh, Over here to my right, you'll notice the uh, Advent wreath, and each week a different candle is lit to indicate the journey on our way to Christmas Eve. And so uh, during uh, Advent, we're starting a new series today called Family Tree. And we'll be walking through the book, uh, or excuse me, the first chapter of the book of Matthew. And for this series, we are uh, starting with uh, Scripture readers and Scripture reading. And so, uh, if you would, open your hearts and your minds to receive the Word of God. Good morning, church. My name is Keo, and I'll be reading uh, the Old Testament, uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Call of Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, in your father's household to the land, and I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Good morning, church. My name is Lexi. Um, today's scripture reading, uh, New Testament, will be Romans 8, 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Hi, my name is Hannah. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading. I'll be reading Matthew 1, 1 through 16. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Reboam. Reboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. 
Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerobabel, Zerobabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Elizar, Elizar the father of Mathen, Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother to Je of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You may be seated. <laughs> yeah, I think that deserves a clap. <laughs> so, I don't know if anybody has ever said to you, or maybe you've said to somebody, they're new to the Bible, uh, you should just start reading the book of Matthew. Like, read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So they start in Matthew. This is the beginning of the New Testament. And they're like, thanks a lot. <laughs> we wonder sometimes why people would say that the Bible is boring when they're like running into something like that. For us, we maybe hear about or we're familiar with Ancestry because of Ancestry.com or 23andMe. Anybody done that? I, I have because um, I wanted to find out. Uh, that if I had Jewish blood, I was hoping for it. It didn't show it, but I've heard that the tests aren't completely accurate, so, so I have not given up hope yet. Uh, I also uh, was trying to figure out if I was related to anybody famous. Um, I wasn't. Uh, so in some ways, a family history is almost like a hobby. But in many cultures, a family tree is everything. Like, it, it, it says something about who you are. And tracing one's ancestry is like a way of determining one's identity. He's a stern. She's a bane. She's a firster. Like, that means something more than, that's my last name. So, here, if I were to say, you know, I'm Aaron, son of Dennis, son of Roland, son of Harry, you'd be like, you're weird. But for the Jewish readers, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. His Jewish readers would have seen this completely different because every Jewish reader was a part of a tribe. So they knew their history and their lineage because, because it meant something about their family and it meant something about their inheritance and it meant something about uh, God's promise to his people. And so as they're reading this, this isn't boring. This isn't like, and who's who, and why is Jehinadab matters about, the, there's like this, like, <gasps> because he starts off by saying the heir of Abraham. And like, okay, okay, I know what this means because they were very familiar with this promise that was made to Abraham about the line that would carry itself through the line of David. So as they're going along and then it gets to David and it keeps going and they're like, the, their heart rate is rising and the, the drum roll is continuing and then it lands in Jesus. They're like, oh, this means something. I see it. This, has, this means everything. And on top of that, these early first century Jewish readers would have also seen the symbolism and the significance of the numbers 
in these listings of these generations. These generations that are just listed, like we just heard, are broken up into 14, three sections of 14, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to when the, 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 the children of Israel are, are sent into exile, and then 14 generations from that moment in exile to Jesus. Three group, groups of 14, which really means six groups of seven. The number seven was especially significant in the Jewish understanding. The number seven meant completeness or wholeness. The seventh day, Sabbath day, shalom, a day of shalom, a day of wholeness. The seventh day of the week. They embraced a seventh year, the seventh year, meaning a Sabbath year. And then on the seventh Sabbath year, that would have been the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee would have been an economic refresh. It was slaves being set free and debts canceled. Jesus, in this line of sevens, was the seventh in the sixth set, which meant that he was the climax of the whole list, which meant that he was the last one, therefore ushering in the last, the seventh of the seven sets, which would mean he's ushering in the year of Jubilee. He's ushering in deliverance. He's ushering in forgiveness and canceled debts. He's ushering in freedom to those who are in captive. And so, for a first century Jewish audience, this was like, yes. For us, we're like, interesting, breeze past that. But there is significance not only in the early Jewish understanding of what was happening in the lineage, but there's some other powerful truths that are revealed here in this family tree. And I want to just talk about a couple here this morning. Number one is that God keeps his promises. There was a promise made to Abraham. We heard that in the Old Testament reading. I'm going to bless you, and through you I'm going to bless the world. It was God choosing a family to carry the rescue plan forward, to redeem his people and redeem the whole world. But they knew their history pretty well, and they knew that things were a mess. If you read through the Old Testament from that promise... They, they blew it. And here they were in exile. And I wonder if they had thought it looked like all was lost and the promises were drowned in sin and judgment. And now they found themselves under Roman oppression. And, and this old Genesis 12 promise seemed like an old myth. You ever wonder where God is? You ever, you ever think like, he's been so silent, so after the mess, then there's like, God's not talking to us. I think he might be mad, with, mad at us, or maybe he has just left us. Ever seem like God's forgotten you? Does it, do you ever wonder, God, why do you feel so distant? Why do I feel like you're so silent? Are you even here? Does it, does it even matter? But this genealogy highlights that God orchestrates even when we don't see it. That God is at work even in the silence and even in the waiting. It is why Advent is so important for us to step into and remember that Advent isn't just about chocolates behind a, a door each day, 
But that Advent is in fact about us stepping into this place of longing. Stepping into this place of waiting and knowing that there is fulfillment in our waiting. Just as maybe they thought the promise had been forgotten, Jesus shows up and God does not forget his promises. And God will not forget his promise to you. And he will not forget his promise to his people. And he will return. He will make all things new. And in the waiting, he waits with us. God keeps his promises and God works through everyone. Because there are some surprises in this genealogy. Women don't usually appear in Jewish genealogies. They're very patriarchal society. But, and so, so women were overlooked, often mistreated. But Matthew connects Jesus' life to people who have been overlooked and mistreated. And not only that, the women in this list, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, Tamar, morally suspect. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite. Bathsheba committed adultery with King David. Tamar, we'll get to her story in a moment, is a doozy. Jesus' life is connected not just to sinners, as these women were and as everyone in the list was, But in this list are not just sinners, but those who are caught in a system of sin, propped up and propagated by poverty and power. Bathsheba was sure a part of and didn't live into the reality of what she was supposed to do. She also was taken advantage of by a king. And so I don't know if you're ever wondering, does God see me? Am I worthy to be connected to Jesus? This genealogy answers loudly and unequivocally, yes. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what kind of mess. And you're like, I don't know. If you knew my story, Jesus doesn't say, "Mm -mm, we're going to have a clean line. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. One of the remarkable characteristics of the biblical way of training us to understand history and our place in it is the absolute refusal to whitewash a single detail. God, we realize, does some of his best work using the most unlikely people. See, if you look at this genealogy and you unpack some of the stories of those in it, It means that Jesus comes from a family with drama. Anybody got some family drama? Anybody just like came from it last week? You know, you're like Thanksgiving family drama at its best. Family secrets, family issues, family problems. Jesus has a family like that too. God doesn't hide the mess or distance himself from the mess. See, God doesn't distance himself from sinners. He actually connects himself to sinners. Jesus isn't ashamed to join his life to you. Actually, Jesus only connects his life to sinners. Martin Luther, the German theologian, 
put it this way, Christ is the kind of person who isn't ashamed of sinners. As a matter of fact, he even puts them in his family tree. So if you don't think you're a messed up sinner, you're missing out. Meaning Jesus would connect and connects to you. If you're maybe new to Mill City and like thinking about it and trying to figure out, is this the church for me? But if you think you're if you think you're a messed up, you're not a messed up sinner, if, if you think you're perfect, I don't know that this is the church for, us, for you because you'll mess up our church. <laughs> because the church is for people who don't have everything together. It's for the people who are like one day feeling like, I just, I just crushed that parenting moment. And the next day are like snapping at their kids and like, Oh, sure, you guys act like you don't do that. <laughs> or you're like, I just gave to Generosity Sunday. I'm so generous. And, and then a few weeks later, you know, Christmas comes around and, and you're like greedy. And, or like one day, like everything's good and I trust God. And then you're, the next day you're worrying. Welcome to church, everybody. See, the Bible isn't a collection of sanitized stories with people who have their lives together. I mean, have you ever read Genesis? Read the story of Noah, the drunk naked guy? Or as I mentioned, Tamar, who's in the genealogy of Jesus? She was the wife of Ur, the oldest son, and he died, but they didn't have any kids in this ancient history, the way in which uh, what would have happened at that point was that the, the wife then would be given to the next brother so that they, she could get pregnant, have kids, so that they could carry on the line. She is with his brother. Uh, I'll spare you the details, but you should read it. It's quite salacious. Uh, they don't have any kids. And so to make a long story short, she ends up dressing up as a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law. And her son is Perez in the line of Jesus. You probably wouldn't send your kids to that movie. But it sure makes Romans chapter 8, verse 28 come alive. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That God works in all things, in sleeping with your father-in-law, that God works in abuse and God works in divorce and God works in adultery. God works in it all. Rich Velotis, one of our overseers and pastor in New York City, says, out of a great mess comes the great Messiah. See, this genealogy is really a profound declaration of God's grace. Meaning your mistakes, your sin, are not, is not too deep for God's grace. God's love always goes deeper. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Paul writes, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. God's goodness towards you is not, and me, is not connected to yours or my goodness. 
Now, I don't know if I didn't say that well enough or not, and, and I know that it's 11 o'clock, but that would have been an amazing opportunity for you to say amen. So I'm going to try that again. God's goodness towards you and me is not connected to yours or my goodness. Amen and amen. That, my friends, is good news because sometimes we are kind of like this. I read my Bible this morning. He loves me. I haven't read my Bible in a week. He loves me not. I tithed. He loves me. I haven't been to church in a month. He loves me not. I went to Citigroup two weeks in a row. He loves me. I don't know what the weekly practice is. He loves me not. (laughs) I gave big to Generosity Sunday. He loves me. I don't care about 21 days of prayer and fasting. He loves me not. And somehow we think, if I'm good, God's good to me. But God's goodness is not dependent upon our goodness. Our sexual issues, our financial issues, our relational issues, our work issues, our ambition issues. Do not halt. Do not stop God's goodness and love for you and for me. I blew it. He loves me. I didn't do this. He loves me. I forgot to do that. He loves me. That's the message of this genealogy. The good news, everybody, sin won't have the last word. God's grace has the last word. And I want to take it just a step further. God's grace is greater than what your families have handed you. God's grace and God's power changes generational patterns and sins. Grace is greater than the generational sins of alcoholism or the patterns of adultery or the ongoing repeat rhythm of abuse or whatever it is that seems to carry from one generation to the next. Jesus breaks us free from slavery, sets us free and reorients and relabels and redeems and utilizes all the broken pieces. He doesn't waste any of it. He doesn't whitewash it. He just makes it new and uses it for his glory. Rahab, a prostitute, and Jesus, great, 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 and so on. Grandmother. In the story part of redemption, part of bringing about new life, part of bringing the grace of God. We each week do have a weekly practice. Our weekly practice is to memorize and pray Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I read it just a moment ago. I'll read it again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. The reason it's worth memorizing and praying is to get it into us for the moments when he feels distant, God feels distant, or it feels like he's forgotten, or somehow I, I, I don't understand how this is all working together, and I, I don't see how the dots connect, and, connect, and I, I don't see how you're orchestrating, and, and it seems like, uh, like, like I've been overlooked, and you don't see me, and I, that we say, God works for the good 
in all things, not just the good things, not just the, the wise things, but in the foolish things and the dumb things and the bad choices and the things that we didn't have any power over that was handed to us, all the things. God works through all the things. That we would remember that. That we would live into that. That we would embrace that. So we memorize it and we pray it. So the prayer sounds like, God, I don't understand. I don't know where you are is working, but help me to trust that you are. God, when I see it, thank God. And when I don't see it, thank God. I trust you. Help me to trust you. I don't trust you, but I need to trust you, so help me. And so the invitation for us today, out of a genealogy, is an invitation into God's family. Into a larger story. It's an invitation not of us inviting Jesus into our story, now, we do invite, Jesus does enter into our story, but it's because we are invited into his story, the true story of the world. See, we're not inviting Jesus into our story so he can be our, our, our spiritual consultant or our self-help guru or, Jesus, I need you to bless my career path. You know, it's so that we are invited into a much larger story, the true story of the world, which is full of mess and redemption, which is full of sin and grace, which might be marked by despair, but always ends in hope. And the reality is that we can be adopted into the family of God, as Lexi read earlier in the New Testament reading out of Romans 8. We're adopted in. You may not have Jewish blood, but it's not about that. It's about being adopted. It's about being a participant. It's about faith in Jesus, embracing his grace. Not about a family line, family bloodline. It is about saying, Jesus, you are the savior of the world. You are the one who gives grace. You are the one who redeems. And as we surrender, as we receive the grace of God, when we say yes to Jesus, when we are invited into and accept the invitation into Jesus' story, his origin story becomes our origin story. Rahab becomes your great, great, and on grandma. We're woven into this story of redemption. And we're welcomed into a life of freedom, a life of forgiveness, a, a refresh. Doesn't mean it all goes away. Doesn't mean we don't work through it. Doesn't mean it's overnight. But we're in, in the story and the family of God. So I don't know where you find yourself here today. Maybe it's your first time in church. Maybe you've been in church before, but, but you never really responded to the invitation of grace. I love this definition of grace. It's really, really simple, and it's God at work. Because the opposite of God at work is me at work. So it's this transition from me at work, which is self-reliance, to this, to this self-dependence. like I'm, I'm dependent upon Jesus. I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. I can't tell myself I'm enough. Only Jesus can do that. And so we accept that. We accept that by, 
by faith, but we accept that as grace. It's free. It's nothing we earn. It's nothing we achieve. It's, it's given freely. And so if that's you here today, and maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, needing to receive the grace of God, it's through a simple step of surrender where we would say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. And if you just made that statement and declaration, prayed that very simple prayer, it's the beginning of an amazing journey of not a one day of grace, but a lifetime of grace. Embracing the reality and our need for God. Together we want to embrace this reality of our need for grace together by taking communion. And so on your way in, you should have received a communion cup. If you did not, if you would just raise your hand, if you want to participate with us, just keep your hand up. One of our host team will make their way to you. Just keep your hand up until they get to you. And in the meantime, the scripture says that we are to examine ourselves before we take communion. Or or, or to ask God to examine us. And so I just want to open and give us about 30 seconds or so together where we would open our hearts and open our lives. That, Like the psalmist in Psalm 139 says, Search me and know me, O God. Find any offensive or anxious ways in me. Would you reveal them to me? Because I want to confess them. I want to turn from them. I want to repent. So would you ask God, would you open your heart to Him? Would you confess and repent and make this a moment of turning towards God and His grace for you? follow Jesus by ourselves. We join a family, so therefore by being a part of a family we follow Jesus together. And so one of the ways that we come around that reality is by together praying a confessional prayer. Recognizing that we are in this together and also recognizing that each one of us are in the same amount of desperation for the grace of God as anyone else in this room. For some of us, maybe we have a hard time embracing the reality that that we have issues or that we're a messed up sinner. I think shame so regularly keeps us from embracing weakness, failure, sin. But it is the grace of God that wants to break through that so that we might be able to experience the fullness of God and His mercy. And so by praying this prayer together, we are stepping into and trying to work our way into a place of humility before God. And so as this prayer comes up here on the screen, let's pray this prayer of confession together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done 
and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. If you would take out your communion cup, you can peel off the top layer that gives you access to the bread. You can peel off the next layer that gives you access to the juice. We practice what we call open communion, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, even if just a moment ago for the first time you said yes to Jesus, you're welcome to participate with us. It's not about belonging to Mill City or any particular church, but about belonging to the family of God. If you choose not to participate with us, that's okay too. Before we take it, I want to read a passage of scripture where the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread and the juice together. This passage that we just read, it says, do this in remembrance of me. When you take the bread and the cup, He's not saying just like, oh, have a good memory. In the ancient or first century Jewish understanding, to remember was to bring the past into the present. So it's to bring everything that Jesus did on the cross into our present reality. The grace needed for the failures and the mistakes. The power needed to live into the way of Jesus. The the forgiveness, everything that was happening on that day brought into the reality of our everyday lives. And so Jesus, as as we take the bread and the cup, we remember and we welcome your grace and your power into our present day life. Into every aspect of who we are, the good, the bad, the ugly, the parts of our story we would like to whitewash, but we bring them to you to redeem. We bring them to you because you don't waste anything. And God, I pray that as we are remembering and we give our attention to the sacrificial work of Jesus, for any in this room who are maybe struggling to forgive, to forgive a family member, a spouse, a, a friend or a coworker, feeling hurt or betrayed or abandoned, God, I pray that as we fix our eyes on your your sacrificial work on the cross and we see you forgiving, that we too would be able to forgive. For any of us maybe who are having trouble loving our enemies, may we see you not just dying for your friends, but dying for your enemies, for those who would nail you to a cross, who hated you, that we would pray for those and bless those who curse us. And we would love those who we would consider to be those who are not our friends. 
but our enemies. May we be reminded and pull in the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit into each and every moment to follow you, live into your way, be peacemakers, be meek, mourn, be pure in heart. Jesus, we want to experience your kingdom and live like you lived. So we thank you for your sacrificial work. We thank you that our sin does not have the last word, but that your grace has the last word. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen.